0: Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Taylor, it's TV editor of ThePopBreak.com, and you're listening to, and the winner still is, our Oscar retrospective podcast. I'm joined as always by the film editor of ThePopBreak.com, Marissa Carpico. Say hi, Marissa.
1: Hello.
0: I remember to say film editor first this time. There we go. Some (laughs) some real growth. Um, Anyway, (laughs) we're here to talk about the 1963 Oscars, an episode that... We tried very hard to get a guest for and could not. And we don't blame them, honestly. <laughs> this, w- this was a year filled with very long movies, very odd movies, and some would say bad movies. So I think if- you and I are
1: going to say bad on this very podcast
0: yes yes we probably will um so let's get down to it um the ceremony was held on april 13th 1964 and it was hosted by jack lemon which is just as a side note i think is very cool because he was in um irma leduce which is one of the films nominated for um best actress and a few other films so it's like i would love to see actors who are like in the oscar race on some level actually hosting like that could be fun i don't know um and i just love jack lemon so you know anything like that would be interesting but um it's it was a really historic year for the oscars it like the first black actor um to win, to win um was won, won that year it was the um, oldest acting winner at the time won that year the and it, there were many records in terms of like how many nominated actors per um per for one film so just interesting weird little year for a movie with many movies that do not exist anymore um, including I would say the best picture winner Tom Jones which I think I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it might be the best picture winner that I think is least remembered maybe I don't know it's like I forgot I I like there I watched this film before and i watched it um kind of early in getting prepared for this podcast and it was funny because at various points since then i've tried to remember like what won best picture that year and i always forget it was tom jones (laughs) but um this film is directed by tony richardson it's based on the novel the history of tom jones a foundling by henry fielding and it was a huge hit uh at the time the fourth most popular film of the year in the u.s even bigger hit in the u.k uh, really critically acclaimed winning four Oscars in total and breaking the record at the time for um well it won a bad record, <laughs> receiving five acting nominees but um losing <laughs> losing them all so um which they share that record with um uh, paid in place, which was in the fifties and um do you want to describe the plot for this one, Marissa, or, um, if yeah, the I guess inter- the interesting challenge. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if it really has a plot as much as it is a, a farce of the swinging sixties. That's sort of like uh, body, um, mm-hmm. which is the word that was used many times in, in, inside Oscar, but it's pro- totally appropriate to what the film is. Yeah. Um, it's basically like a, I guess you could call, almost call it a sex like romantic and sex comedy. Um, about the titular tom jones who is uh born under mysterious uh, circumstances we don't know who the father is but hell we don't even really know who the mother is when it starts (laughs) um which is which is you know a a, a low-key mystery throughout that really only comes in as a deus ex machina at the end anyway um it stars albert finney as the titular tom jones he uh, once he grows up, he's sort of a, a ribald, um, you know, guy man about town who sleeps with everyone, despite being raised by a, uh, a some, you know, someone who's got money and is part of the gentry or whatever. Um, and he uh, sort of has a romance with the uh, the character played by Susanna York, um, and they. But there's a sort of there's a, a competing someone competing for her affections as well. And in order to try to um, get the two of them away from each other and stop their, their romance from coming together, um, they, they spread some rumors that he is worse than he actually is. Although he's, you know, he's pretty bad, but he's a well-meaning guy, you know, (laughs) Um, like he sleeps around, but that's kind of it. But anyway, he has to sort of go on the road. He's disowned. Um, And then he gets accused of murder or something, something to which he's for which he's about to be hanged. Um, But then the truth of his patronage is revealed and he is also revealed as not committing the crime. And and it's just a comedy, basically. Um, It's sort of a loose plot. I mean, he sleeps with a lot of women. (laughs) Uh, The Susanna York character is the sort of uh, one he doesn't. I don't think he sleeps with her in the film at all. No, I don't know. think
0: so. She's yeah, she's the so- pure one for yeah. Lack of Sophie Western
1: words. is is her name. She's the good one, and then there's the prostitute who he absolutely swe- sleeps with, um, uh, played by uh, what's her name? I just I just lost it. Um, Molly Seagram is the name of the character, but the her, the the actress's name is Di- Diane Chilento. Maybe that's how you pronounce that. I don't know. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm doing real going real Italian on it. Um, but yeah, that's kinda it. I that's it sort of jumps around. There's uh, I don't know, it's it's fine. Um I watched it for the project, but yeah. <laughs> Is there any do you want to talk about how your experience with it first or should I go into it? Uh, go into it. Let's go off. <laughs>
0: let's <laughs> uh, let's hear your thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I mean I'm not gonna be as mean to this as I was to basically every film in nineteen forty one, if anybody's listened to that episode. Um <laughs> but you know it's fine. I think Albert Finney is pretty attractive in it. He's like 27. Um so that was nice, but otherwise I don't think it's aged well at all um in terms of being watchable now. And I would say that's true of a lot of these films, so it's not like it's a sli- there's a it's not like it's much worse than most of them. It's just not they're all pretty hard to watch basically. Yeah. <laughs> um but it I watching it, I do understand, and especially reading about it afterwards, I I understand why it would be um, appealing at the time because realistically, especially in this year, you're looking at all these stodgy, um, really just uh, boring and you know hard to sit through spectacle spectacle pictures from Hollywood, and this this comes in from from britain and is sort of wild and and filmed very differently and and not at all you know boring to watch even if it is sort of slight like it's a different it's an indicator of where film was going and um, and also where we were going culturally and that it's like sort of free sexuality and all this stuff and and also you know kennedy had just been shot People wanted comedies. I totally get it, you know? Um, So I I don't know. I think it's fine. I don't know if I'd ever, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: I wouldn't be like angry about it. Um, I don't think it's, I think it's definitely, like you said, one of the least remembered Best Picture winners of all time. And I think that's appropriate. But if you're looking at it specifically as part of this year, I'm, I'm, it's fine. It's fine.
0: Yeah, um, I, I truly do not remember my first time watching this movie. Like, if if you had asked me, like, stripped of context that it's a Best Picture winner, if, like, on any given day, if you had come up to me on the street and said, um, like, what are your thoughts on Tom Jones, I would straight up say I did not watch that movie. <laughs> like, it is, it is truly a movie that I do not, I did not remember before watching it again. And, Ooh. um... I, I feel sort of similar similar to you. Like, it's it's not a great movie. It's not a movie that I particularly love. But um, I don't hate it while watching it. I find it somewhat amusing. Um, it's amusing in bursts. Like, it's, it's very episodic in nature. And some of those episodes are very, very funny. And other ones, I think, sort of feel dated, both in terms of, like, their gender politics and also just in terms of, um, like, the sense of humor. But... Yeah. There is something really modern and exciting about it, especially compared to these to these best picture nominees. It is the it is the only one that feels remotely modern. And um,
1: well, the camera is like just to, just in terms of like the way that that we mean that in some ways, like the camera is so mobile in a way that it's mm-hmm. not in something like cleopatra or america america which are also nominated this year it just is constantly like the the big um chase fox chase you know scene yeah great um one of the the better moments yeah oh absolutely and it and it was remarkable because it was handheld camera work and and also uh, and edited with um stuff from helicopters so like that feels really exciting and edited in a modern way that just it doesn't isn't is lacking in in most of the other films realistically
0: absolutely it almost feels like a di- from a different decade <laughs> like it mm-hmm. is something that just feels so different from everything else nominated and even um some of the like creative touches in the film that's separated from costume dramas um like the opening sequence is like a si- is reminiscent of a silent film and then um the near the end one of my one of my favorite moments in the film as like all these characters are fighting one of the female characters turns to the camera and like breaks the fourth wall and like sums up the ending, essentially, in, like, a very, like, funny way. And I love that little touch. It reminds me a lot um, on this watch of, like, Yorgos Lanthimos, especially The Favourite. Like, it just... It's, like, this really, like, modern twist on the costume drama. And, um, you know, that's what I I find interesting and fun about it. But it is one that, as a unit, I can't imagine returning to. And it does sort of feel more like an interesting... um, film the point to in the how Hollywood changed more than it does, um, like a film that's worth watching. Like I would never show this to people interested in just watching it, like having a movie night. I would never be like,
1: what about Tom Jones? (laughs) Yeah. Um, you cut out there for a second, but I'm assuming I I feel like I know what you said. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) I find it fascinating by the way that, um, that this was the highest-grossing foreign film made, or you know, in America to that point, at, like ever, Um mm-hmm. which is wild. But also, I think, I mean, I think you're right about the the fact that it like it it does usher in something in filmmaking. I mean, if you look at uh, the movies from '67 that we watched, like those films resemble, except for Doolittle, which we ragged on, um, resemble th- this more than uh more than any of the other films. While like Doolittle feels so out of place in that group because it feels like most of the other films nominated here and it's sort of like mannered, you know, period drama. Yeah. Not even well, that's not a period drama. It's just fucked up. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: honestly, very fair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like <laughs> it's just not it's like bad. Um it just feels of its time. <laughs> but it feels like, you know, period drama now because it's just it's so out of date. But Yeah, I think you're completely right. Like, it certainly, um, I don't know, it just certainly suggests where where film is going rather than where it had been, which is fine. And, like, it was controversial at the time or whatever. A lot of anti-British sentiment, for some reason, was, like, in the industry. And part of the reason that lost all those acting awards is because there was such a, like, anything but Tom Jones, um, you know. (laughs) like, contingent, and especially for from, like, a Hopper and stuff like that. So, like, it, which seems insane to me because it's, like, so un, inoffensive. But at the time, all that sex and stuff was sort of seen, seen as, like, unseemly, which is bizarre because it's – I mean, it's all sort of metaphorical and fairly tame and, like, it's liberated, but, you know, I don't know. the America was real – Pretty as as we've sort of talked about in other episodes. I mean, forty one especially, like a little buttoned up then. Even then, so. Oh yeah. This is the beginning of like the that freedom.
0: Especially, you could even tell in the way it's executed and compare it to other films from mm. this era. Like one yeah. film is not nominated for best picture, but we'll talk about later on. Um, Love with the Love with the Proper Stranger deals with sex in a somewhat frank way, but in a way where it's always. Almost talked around, than like fully embraced. In this movie, like they are fully acknowledging sex as a concept, and um, it's like there's a winkingness to it of like we know we're being bad, sort of thing, and that's like oh. the fun of it. And I think that's where the movie works best in a strange way um, of just like I like how liberated to use your, like your word it feels and everything it's it's really fun and they, honestly being i've never read the book this um this film is based on but like having read a lot of um british literature from that time period for my when i was an english major um the books back then were kind of like that too like there's like there's like a for the books that were about sex of that era there's like this winking to it that doesn't always carry into costume dramas so it's fun to see that. Like it's, it feels very true. I imagine true to the book itself, which is Mm -hmm.
1: interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, it's, it's also like a, I think it's, it's a watching it is like, it's a product of a film industry in in Britain that doesn't have, that hasn't worked for the last couple decades under the production code. I mean, the production code is, is sort of in its last, I mean, there are vestiges of it still at this point, mm -hmm. but um, it's, it's basically the, Hollywood is still figuring out how to live in a world without it essentially. And like <laughs> being allowed to do whatever the fuck it wants. So yeah, it's, it's just like watching It's just like, Oh, this is, this is what you can make in a, in a, in a, you know, a culture where you don't have to like, not just be played about the fact that, you know, Natalie wooden not queen had a one nine stand in that movie, which we'll, you know, talk about later.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like fascinating to compare, the differences in the film industry Fascinating mm. to see how much it like even today british um content connects with americans in this way that is sort of inexplicable like you know we're recording this just as like downton abbey's finishing a theatrical run and very different type of british content obviously but um mm-hmm. like the way america really goes crazy over some like costume dramas and TV and like British dr- TV dramas which are becoming more and more popular in America like every every month it seems like there's just a new one that kind of oh. dominates the conversation it's just like I don't know I wonder if it's like my very cynical read is like do Americans feel classier watching something like this or is it more of like are th- they're more in tune than it then and now into what audiences in general are looking for in content I don't know it's it's a it's a strange phenomenon that I'm fascinated by <laughs> Um, the the one other thing I, I really which I kind of mentioned before of like how this film's influence is still felt today, both in terms of like it being a little more open sexually, and then also um those those very modern turns like the breaking the fourth wall. Did it remind you of any um mo- more modern films at all? Like have you like do you do you see a sort of trace to um something today or I don't, or a f- particular filmmaker?
1: Not really. I mean, honestly, I th- the most that I think it influences, or the way that I, uh, I don't know, saw it sort of lasting in any way outside of its this year, is the way that American films very quickly follow this. I mean, if you look something like the Valley Valley of the Dolls films, both one mm-hmm. one and one is more of a sort of melodrama about actresses, which is why it works or why. It, I mean, doesn't work, but is also fun. Um, and the second one is, like, just a sex romp. Um, but those are the films that take over in the next, uh, the rest of the decade, realistically. I mean, I think even even though a lot of Hollywood hated it, let's say, and there was this lot of sort of, like, hand-wringing over the sexuality, I do think a lot of the films that come after that totally are in this style in a weird way.
0: Mm-hmm. I I agree. I think you know, th- this feels like the '60s that we remember more than mm-hmm. like the Cleopatra or the America, America, and things like that. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say on Tom Jones, or should we move on to the other nominees? No, let's move on. All right, yeah. the The, the films we we typically didn't like. Let's get the one we really hate out of the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Lilies of the Field. Um, which is based on the novel by William Edmund Barrett. Um, It's directed by Ralph Nelson. Uh, And it follows an African-American itinerant worker um, played by Cindy Poitier, who encounters a group of East German nuns who believe he was sent to them by God to build their new chapel, and they... Together solve racism, basically. <laughs> and um
1: <laughs> while simultaneously making the most racist fucking film I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um just two really interesting trivia effects that I found. I mean, the obvious trivia effect is that Cindy Podia went on to be the first um black actor to win for um, to win an Oscar, um which we can unpack later. But two interesting trivia effects. It was one of Jerry Goldsmith's first scores. Um and it was made into a. Sequ- there was a sequel made for TV starring Billy Dee Williams, which um, is oh. wild to think about. I don't. I don't know. Wow, that was in 1979, so a good 16 years later, which is kind of odd. But you know, um, Mar- Marissa, what are your thoughts on this film? Was this your well, first time I, watching it?
1: Yes, I, I mean, you. I. It's the Letterbox uh, review heard around the world. Really, I'm so fucking <laughs> hated it. Like. It's just, I couldn't, I cannot believe this is fucking nominated for best picture. It's not even a good picture. It's just, it's a nightmare. Like, metaphorically, true fucking nightmare. Because it's like a bunch of nuns, like, use God and are awful to this this man so that they don't have to pay him and he has to build a church. And they're they're. I mean, the, the, the head nun is truly a a monster to him the whole time. And every time he's like, can I just get paid for the, for my money from the one day of work that I was asked to do for you? She's like, nah, get out there and fucking, you know, make some bricks. Like the, they don't say any racial slurs because they're Germans who have been pushed out by the Nazis is the implication. But like, Boy, do they just really lose, <laughs> expend <laughs> all that uh, sympathy very fast. It's it's a nightmare. I don't know. The whole time I was like, this is bad. This is real bad. And then it ends in the sort of one foot in heaven way in its sort of religious propagandiness of like everybody comes together at the church at the end. And it's like, wow, what wasn't it all worth it to not pay any of these non-white workers? Because they, they also bring in some like day laborers who are Mexican, one assumes, um, to like build the church and also not get paid. And like, literally everyone is just roped into this for, you know, because they're threatened with going to hell, which is like, n- not like exactly what religion, like Christianity has been for many years, but really not what it should be. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> this movie. So I had a really wild experience with it, with this movie, as I mentioned in this podcast before. Um, I if I haven't seen it before, I try not to read about what, any of the movies before watching. So, when I rented Lilies of the Field, I just got I didn't read like the DVD packaging or anything like that. And I I truly don't know what I was thinking. I really thought it was a thriller. Like what? I when I started it, I really was like, "Oh, it's like a thriller." And Sydney won the Oscar for it. And I'm watching it for about 20 minutes and I'm like, "When is the thriller stuff going to start?" <laughs> When is one of the nuns going to get murdered? <laughs> yeah, like, I was literally sitting there with I don't know what movie I confused it with. I I don't know, but then I eventually paused it and went on IMDb, and it was like, oh no, I was wrong. <laughs> but I was very disappointed. Wow. So already not the best way to start the movie, but yeah, I think this might have been the worst one we've had to watch with this project so far. Um, mm. The only film I think might that might be worse is *Cider House Rules*, which I did not rewatch for that episode because I refused. Wow. It's so <laughs> tough. I mean, it's yeah. it's like a tough
1: competition. It's a it's a really good competition for the worst fucking film ever.
0: They're both equally horrifying for different yeah. reasons. I feel
1: like most of 1941 should probably be in the running. Like we should do that someday of just like the worst films rank of top ten.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. That'll be. Our our final season um (laughs) no it's yeah it's it's a rough movie it for one thing i just will say like my overwhelming take it feels so like on and uninteresting like that like even removing anything from you know the the racism of it and all the social the horrifying social stuff which i'll get into like who is this movie like engineered for it is so free of stakes and You know, maybe I would have felt differently if it was the 1960s and, like, I was more religious, but I really was just kind of like, who are we rooting for here? What is the, like, the driving force of this film? It is just like, it feels like something made for my grandparents. Like, that, like, it's just like, it is something so impossible to relate to on any level in a modern time, but then also not well made enough or interesting Uh enough to. Work anyway, because there are plenty of films from that era that, or from that we've watched from older eras that I don't have a like a stake in, but I can still appreciate on some level. And this one, I'm like, no, I have like, there's nothing here for me, (laughs) and um, it's just it's really a failure on that level. And then on top of that, once you throw in the social aspects, and it's just it's like it's one of those movies which I think many films still today do, but not quite as bad. Yeah. Of like, where it acts as if racism is this thing that like both parties involved have to solve. Like it's like yes, the the the, the German nuns are being racist, but like it, it expects Sidney Poitier to make changes as well to like reach an understanding. And that's like a ve- obviously a very toxic way of exploring um, that sort of t- that sort of uh, exploring racism that or that theme or anything like that. Like it completely removes the systems of racism from it and just makes it like a personal one-on-one thing. And that's just like, it's inorganic and it's like offensive. Obviously
1: it is just, it is a really uncomfortable movie to watch today. Yeah, Cause it certainly frames the nuns as the underprivileged ones in this situation, which LOL. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It is a deeply
0: strange film to watch. And, I don't know. Just made me made me very uncomfortable the whole t- <laughs> the whole time, basically. Um, I don't know. It just. How do you think? And I don't know if there even is an answer for this, but like, how do you think this compares to like the other talked about racism films from like the Oscars history, like you know, Driving Miss Daisy um, or Green Book? Now, like, how like how do you think this compares to those?
1: Well, I, I mean, I was going to sort of talk about it when we talked about Best Actor, but I I, I think it's very – part of the reason that he eventually wins that award is, A, there was anti-Tom uh, Jones sentiment, and B, um, you know, uh, many celebrities had just – stars really had uh, – movie stars had, had just marched in a bunch of civil rights parades and or, you know, pro- parades, protests, um, and like we're like two years out from the Voting Rights Act, right? Mm-hmm. and there was conversation in hollywood at the time like let's let's give poitiers the the award because it shows that we're not racist not not in such sort of mercenary terms but that is that is what they're what it was about of and it's, course yeah it is fascinating to me that he wins for a film this great actor. I mean, I, the my 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 biggest thing while watching it was like, I can't believe they made Sidney Poitier, one of the greatest actors who, who's ever been committed to film, do this fucking role, and then gave him an award for it because it's it's truly a film about essentially enslaving him for free, under the guise of religious moral like religious purity, which is. Gr- fucking gross. I mean, it's fucking mm-hmm. gross. And to think that they gave him an award for this, a momentous okay. award, the first time, uh, an African, uh, you know, an African American actor had won that above, you know, a big prestigious award like that, like, you know, not supporting which we, you know, had to had won for, for gone with the wind and stuff, but a lead role. And then to completely ignore him four years later in two far superior films where he plays mm-hmm. an, a fully realized, actualized, like, adult who has agency and can do whatever he wants. I mean, like, the, ra- the fucking low-key racism, that is unbelievable to me. Like, it's so offensive.
0: <laughs> I, really I was going to make the same exact point, actually. It, like, no, it's, you know, I feel like I mu- I must have said, or if I, if not, I, I thought it back when we recorded our episode about in the heat of the night last season with sean i remember thinking um like how was city podium not nominated for this film and now i just see the answer with like what he actually won for of like they they gave it to the one where it's like it's the inoffensive safe racism one where like white people aren't blamed too heavy for anything and it's very much like like it's so great. they find so a fun gross.
1: cute way to put him in into slavery it's like awful
0: it's so gross and upsetting especially since he's good in this film like I'm not going to like like he, like you said he's one of the best actors we've, we've ever had yeah. but it's like it's not even a role like it's not he's never challenged yeah. um his best scene is when he's teaching them some sort of game. I forgot um what game it was because I repressed this film <laughs> immediately <laughs> after watching. But um but like, you know, it's nothing compared to any of his scenes in either Guess who's coming to dinner or um or in the heat of the night. It's this it's yeah. insane. It is he's got like what a what a shame. And this was his only Oscar, I believe, so it's like what a shame that this is the film he was rewarded for when he, he done so much.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's wild. To, I mean, I was he was my four year consideration that that for that 1967 episode because I was so fucking pissed that I like I couldn't believe he'd turned in two great performances and not, not not neither one had been nominated. And it totally makes sense with the with the context of this, but like, yeah, this is his only one, and he did win a second one. I mean, was given a second one, like an honorary one. The oddly enough, coincidentally, the the year that Denzel won his Oscar. Mm. The second person the second man to win that fucking award, you know, fuck <laughs> like shit, I don't know, just it kills me, it kills me like it, it's like this movie gets to live on because he won the award for it, and it's a piece of history, but like what an undeserving piece of shit
0: It's deeply upsetting, and I don't know i'm I'm like I'm happy it, it has sort of left film the film um culture and conversation in the time since then like i feel like in the heat of the night is far better remembered than this movie and it really it really is like the historical aspect of it is that he won which i guess is the best legacy for this movie to have but it's it's a really toxic movie god um it was adapted into a broadway play which i find or Broadway musical which i think is is hysterical because that makes sense. i'm
1: sorry i just (laughs) jumped out my window i'm dead now (laughs)
0: <laughs> that was... It, it's it's deeply upsetting. Horrible movie. Watch In the Heat of the Night instead. Do you have anything else to say or should we move on?
1: <laughs> Please, let's move on.
0: Okay. Let's move on to the other one that I feel... There's just... Like, it's... There's not much to say. I don't know. America, America. Directed by Elliot Kazan. Inspired by the life of his uncle. This film follows a Greek man. Or, like, young man. I don't know. Like, early 20s, maybe. Who... Um, is um, played by, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Sorry, <laughs> no. It's like
1: <laughs> I think it's like Stannis Gilellis,
0: Or Stannis Giolelis. sure. sure. Um, who flees his village in the midst of the Armenian genocide to um, try to make it to America, and it's a long odyssey. Um, his family's depending on him, and it. There, there are many obstacles along the way, to say the least. It it's a very long film. I think it's three hours, maybe a little longer. It's like and, six
1: minutes short of three hours.
0: Yeah, it's 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 it feels longer. <laughs> no offense yeah. to this movie, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a it's a hazardous journey, and it really, it, all jokes aside, it is a very interesting portrait of the immigrant experience, and um, it was filmed on location in Turkey and Greece. And a very notoriously tough shoot, which is it shows. Like the movie, like looks incredible amongst like all things aside. Um, I saw this at the New York Film Festival Um, this year. They had a retrospective of like really well known um, or really well like famous films, like films famous for the cinematography. Like the whole retrospective section of the festival was around that. So I saw. I saw America, America there, and it was a. It was on. It was like an on film, very like a really interesting, um, somewhat grainy but like amazing print of the film. To be honest, mm-hmm. and that was sort of the best way for me to see this because I know if I watched it at home, I would have fully checked out like after hour one because it is a. <laughs> it is a very. I, I, I like. I don't know. I don't want to say boring, but like it's a. It is a movie with some structure problems, I think. It is, yes. Yes. you know, like like I mentioned, it is about how hard the immigrant experience is and this, this main, our main character, Starvis, um, which I'm probably mispronouncing too, but whatever. Um, his journey to um, America, he got to many thieves, he briefly loses much of his money and he has to, like, work for his uncle and he's trying to marry into um, a richer family in, in order to get money to go to America and, you know... You can only watch the same thing so many times, and no matter what direction the um, the episodes took, it always boiled down to him being gullible and then being victimized by somebody and being like set back, and then eventually progressing forward and forward. And I think they really could have cut down like two or three of those episodes. It is a very long movie that really does repeat itself, and I found the last. 30 minutes or so when he it actually seems like he's going to be getting to america soon very effective and it's him on the boat and it's very it's a pencil, but also very well directed and interesting that whole arc i thought was very was fascinating very well acted mm-hmm. very well filmed but the rest of it it is sort of a struggle um yeah
1: and the it, problem is it should get there an hour earlier
0: exactly yes um what, what are your thoughts and your experience with the film was this your first time watching
1: yeah, first time watching it, I watched it at home, and I, I certainly checked out um, during, unfortunately, one of the early um, th- times that he gets sort of railroaded, when that, um, that fucking, like, popper is just screaming at him for what feels like two and a half hours, but is obviously mm-hmm. not. And it's just like, it's that was the main problem. I think you're right, it's completely repetitive, and like, that interaction is just repeated over and over and over again. It's just like different shrill men yelling at him to say that America won't be that great when he gets there, which is an interesting idea that I wish they'd played with. <laughs> like actually, mm. you know, there's a little bit of it. I don't know. There's a little bit of it late, very late in it, but like, um, it just never happens. And like, it's, I don't know what <laughs> I, I, it's, I don't know. It's message about, why it's called that and also like what it's ultimately trying to say about the immigrant experience is a little, I don't know, uh, tough to call, like call out of everything that happens over the three hour runtime. It is well shot, but I think one of the major issues for me is that, um, like G.L. <sighs> has, he, it, the whole movie depends on him sort of selling all of all of what happens to the character and I think he's just a shitty actor like Mm -hmm. he's just not strong enough for it and it really hurts the film I I don't know I I think if they had maybe had an actor in it in the role rather than like a cute boy it might have worked out which is very off-brand for this podcast but you (laughs) know (laughs) when it's three hours a pretty face can only do so much and he's not even that cute um Yeah, I just think there's too much going on at too slow of a pace, realistically, Um, and and like I don't, I just am unclear about what it's doing and what it wants to say, and and maybe it was clearer then, I don't know, Um, but yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me here.
0: Yeah, um, I completely agree. the The acting in the film is a major problem. Like, not only is the main actor, I think, giving a very rough amateurish performance i think many of the performances are quite bad yeah um like it all feels very like everybody's doing different tones like you had many of the villains in the film for lack of a better word like really almost camping it up like they're very much like telegraphing to the audience like don't trust me i'm a bad person and then other people. That first guy is really camping Oh, yeah, very campy. And also, if we're talking about cute boys, I was, like, very into him. But, um, <laughs> but, but we can unpack that later. Um, like, the but then other actors are doing really natural – I don't even know if you would call it natural. I don't know if it's intentionally natural. It just, like, it feels very much like they're trying not to act. And you can't have those two tones mixing that way. It really feels rough. And – I, I want to go back to what you were saying about just the the film's messaging and what it's like trying to say about the immigrant's journey because watching the film and maybe this is a very modern lens I was just like god like he's going through so much and he's going to be treated very poorly in America too even though like he's going like he's going at this so hard and then the ending of the film I mean spoiler alert for a movie that I guarantee you no one listening is going to watch um like he gets there and it, it ends up like he gets, he gets a working class job and I read that scene and I'm like, Oh my God, like he like, it's this m- movie that is rough in, on some levels. Like it's like, it's like God, like w- like we treat immigrants so poorly basically. And then the movie sees the package in this way of like, what an inspiration. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's a modern lens, but it like, to me, I'm like, God, like we have to do better as a nation. And the movie is like very much like, like, isn't America incredible? And is that how you yeah. interpreted it as well?
1: Or I got No, I, I think that's it. I had the exact same issue with it. Is that like, you know, if it is indeed saying like, this is, this is very hard to do. And, and getting there is not always like uh, the land of milk and honey that we all expect. It's like, there's something to that. But I don't, I don't think that's the film's take. I think it's just like this struggle the idea of of america as this place opportunity is so potent to the film and assumed by the film that they don't have to do any of that that it doesn't do any of that work because it doesn't think it has to and i'm sure for a for a contemporary audience it just didn't like they they didn't have to think that way and you know this is this is post america this is during you know this idea of american exceptionalism technically vietnam hasn't happened yet i mean the first the first real big moment has hit with mm-hmm. Kennedy dying but really this is still America in post-war World War Two glory mode so of course they wouldn't even question that I, and I maybe it's there but it, I don't know I don't think the film is really doing that I think it's unintentional
0: yeah I think a lot about one of the threads near the ending which I think is one of the stronger threads often considered where he's on the boat and he's sort of like having an affair with a woman on the boat like a rich woman and um like of course it ends poorly and it looks like like the spouse the spouse finds out and i was watching that and thinking okay like this movie is setting up to show how like he's finally going to make it to america and um americans are just going to be horrible to him and that is like yeah. like the it is about how hard the immigrant experience is and that like that whole arc never really Impacts the film in any way. Like, it ends up being a very minor part of the whole story, all all things considered. And, you know, maybe I'm applying too modern of a lens of like, like wanting to um, frame the immigrant experience in this way because of, you know, it's the immigrant experience is sort of all we talk about in America in 2019. But, Mm -hmm um and maybe that's not fair of me i don't know but it is just like it is this movie where i just watch it and i kind of see it and i'm like this is how america got to how it is I'm like this is how we frame immigrants <laughs> immigrant stories and yeah. i don't know it's a, it's an odd movie to watch but i do think it it's worth watching in bursts like there are some threats that really work i just think it is one where it's like fast forward if, if you find it repetitive just fast forward to the next
1: arc <laughs> yeah skip that entire first thing where he loses his family's money it's so bad yeah just like just screenshot the guy um and um
0: what did you think of the thread that really takes up the most time where he's trying to marry into a rich family
1: um i mean i think it's ideologically interesting i i think he's a bad actor so it doesn't work Mm -hmm. um she's the girl that he is maybe gonna marry is interesting in that one scene in the bedroom yeah um but yeah, I, I the father character is just, like, literally the same character we've seen for the last two hours. So it's, like, p- p- wrap it up, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think there's something interesting there about, like, the ideology – ideologically of, like, this is his last chance to say let's just make a life here. I could have a good life outside of America, this place that's supposed to be this place of opportunity and and where, like, I can self-make my – my destiny and become, you know, rich or whatever. And one day my, my kid will become a, one of the great directors of, in Hollywood. But like, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't, I think, I think it just, there, there, none of the elements are strong enough to make that whole section land because it's, it's sort of that last moment to see like, all right, you know, maybe the old world isn't so bad. Maybe I can just stay here. But I just don't think any of the elements work to carry it off.
0: I agree. Um, I like that thread in births, but it it falls apart because, A, like you said, the father is a – like it's the same archetype we've been seeing. He's incredibly over the top and it only sometimes works because, I mean, like we all know men like that, I think, in very like – Sure. Yeah, but like in like um, patriarchal houses. But – It it can be a little much. And then the other key element, which we talked about before also, is like that lead actor is not good, and you really just wonder it's like, why is anyone letting them get married? Like I know it is like a part of culture and um it's like basically an arranged marriage, but um like like you have no reason why she would actually want to go through with it, which she seems to want, and then Um, like no one in the family seems to be suspicious of him, even though he is like screaming, like suspicion in every moment. And it just, it's an odd little arc that I, I just like, what, what is the, the end game here? Like, where will it go south? And it doesn't actually
1: like, it's like, how did this charismalist, you know, cardboard cutout of a model, like glamor this family into like believing he is rich or any at all worth their time? He's Mm -hmm. not charismatic enough for this. Like, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: It's a shame. A weird, interesting movie that I'm shocked is like somewhat forgotten, but I don't yeah. know. I will say, Singing on the Big Screen was very interesting, though. Um, yeah,
1: I bet it would work much better when you're a captive audience. Literally held hostage.
0: <laughs> well, I will say, um, film at Lincoln Center, if you're listening, get more comfortable seats for your three-hour movies, please, because <laughs> <laughs> like I was in pain by the time it ended. But it's fine. I love you guys. Um, so the next two films we're going to talk about kind of need to be grouped into one for various reasons. They're both like epics from the period, but we'll start with just one and then eventually lead into the other. And the first one we'll talk about is how the West was won a Cinerama Western um, extravaganza. Basically. I think also this one might be three hours or, or close to it. Um,
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, they're all so long, by oh, the way, so Every, everyone should realize. Lilies of the Field is at least blessedly short. But yeah, How the West was one is two hours, 44 minutes.
0: Um, but <laughs> I like this one the most. Um, oh, yeah. It It is directed by John Ford, Henry Hathaway and George Marshall. It's sort of an anthology film. It follows one family through the um the wild west quote-unquote as america as america expanded westward and um they kind of avoid colonialism but whatever (laughs) um they don't really talk about that part in this
1: it is is low-key all about manifest destiny though it's worth noting
0: it is Yes, it is a very very sanitized version of history you need to accept that going in but um it follows one family and it has many stars popping in and out gregory peck debbie reynolds james stewart Many more I'm forgetting. Narrated by Spencer Tracy, and it, it was originally being developed as a t- TV series. I read, which I think makes sense in some level, mm. but I think it works very well as a film. It was the second highest-grossing film of
1: 1963. 1960- um, Marissa, w- what are your thoughts? Um, I, I mean, it, I think it's, I think it's too episodic. Um, for one. Um, uh, but I do absolutely wish I had seen it in a wider format than my television. Um, cause I, listen, you're not, you're, there's only like two Cinerama theaters left in the country. For those who don't know what a Cinerama is, it's, um, it's a, the biggest fucking format you could get. Basically, <laughs> it could be anywhere from like two, like two, two, seven to like three, one, basically an aspect ratio, which means the length of it is, or the width of it is three times the size of the, the height. Um, and they would play it in a curved theater so that you were a truly Rama, like it was around you, <laughs> like, um, and it was enormous. I mean, these were huge fucking, uh, theaters and also huge fucking pieces, chunks of film. And it was film. This is the last film to be made in true Rama vision, which is three, three giant technicolor cameras strapped together. <laughs> to make one giant image that is then projected three at a time. So it's nuts. And I like visually, I think it's really incredible. I mean, I was like every couple scenes, I was like, Holy shit. When the bison are going nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and and they, there's often sort of a fisheye lens effect, which you would see on a flat screen, but on a, a, the curved screen would have looked fine. But you know, alas, the, it's hard to watch it in its original form. Um, but, like, that seems great. The train uh, crash is fantastic. Or the train robbery, I guess, if you want to call it. It's not quite that. But, you know, all the stuff on the river when they're pushing that fucking covered wagon across the river. There was a – early on, I, I literally was just like, oh, my God. Like, that's beautiful. <laughs> like, holy shit, that's incredible. Huh. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I Like, it's, I, it's certainly too episodic. And it's – like, Debbie is the clearest through line through it. And I think there's a couple – really disastrous um casting dis- I mean, actually only really one, I would say, um, <laughs>
0: but it's disastrous
1: <laughs> oh jimmy Stewart as as like co- he's coded as at least part Indian, um, is so fucking bad. It was like unbelievable to me. I like was screaming the whole time. I was like crawling into like uh, crawling into my couch, hoping it would swallow me whole. It was brutal. I was so (laughs)
0: wrong. It is, is while he's not only coded as part India, but he's also supposed to be like a sexy heartthrob. Oh, it's so gross. No offense to Jimmy Stewart, who I love. He's great. No, I mean full offense. It's disgusting. No, yeah, it's like, I've I don't think there are many actors less sexual than Jimmy Stewart in film. Like, Mm -hmm. and, the only movie he actually exhibits any sort of idea that, like, he's had sex is Rope, and that's, like, the <laughs> only time that it even, like, it's not even, like, he's exuding sex appeal. It's, like, you can acknowledge that this man has had sex in his life, and the rest of it, it's, like, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> so it is it is wild casting, but whatever. <laughs> Go
1: Continue. Um, no, that's kind of it. I mean, besides that though, it's really a lot of quite fun. I mean, it, it is, it is fascinatingly this, this, it's hard to take pride in the sort of idea here of this manifest destiny situ thing of like, you know, how the West was won literally. Um, but I, it, it's so like, I don't know, it handles those thing, things with such a historical, like <laughs> niceness that it's hard to get mad at it in a way. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like that's no, really yeah. the, the biggest takeaway for me i really mostly i just wish i could have seen it in a large format
0: yeah it is like this is how i approach most westerns i'm really not a western fan we've talked about this before um because it is very very hard to stomach a lot of like most westerns are pretty problematic and even the ones that are trying to say something tend to like step in it a little bit and um Yeah, this movie is one where I just had to put it out of my head, and, like, it is incredible escapism. Like, it is so entertaining. I'm in the same boat as you. I really wish I watched it on a bigger screen. I watched it on a laptop, which is very disappointing. Um, But it's a really wonderful, fun film. Um, It's episodic, but I found the episodes to carry through pretty well. Like, 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 it's annoying that they start and stop, and especially when there's, like, long musical not musical numbers like because it's just like there's like moments just images with songs being sung especially like during the intermission and i'm like i'll be honest fully fast forwarded through because i oh my
1: god i've I've chaptered through that i was and it was thank god i did it was like eight minutes long i was like jesus christ
0: (laughs) it's like jesus like who who does this but Mm. um um it has like its biggest problem i think is that it has one episode that i think is much stronger than the rest with debbie Mm. reynolds where she um it she inherits a fortune um i think like a sugar daddy of some kind i didn't quite catch that info but she gets some sort of like nice inheritance and she's traveling west to um find it with gregory peck as her as like this guy who's interested this gambler who's interested in her um and it it has it is everything it has like action scenes it has a musical number it has debbie reynolds being a badass like not to sound like stefan from snl but like it truly does have everything yeah <laughs> and yeah
1: that's my my only complaint with the episodic nature of it i mean like because it works as, as for what it is what it which is trying to like show how america expanded west or whatever but the some of them the debbie stuff is so interesting that like i kind of wish i could stick with it longer
0: yeah and um she plays a small part in the third episode of the film. Of the film, um, when she's much older, and her like one scene is excellent. <laughs> like it's like a really wonderful little. Well, she's not even doing anything that fun. Like she's just like playing with children, and like she's so commanding and just interesting. And I, I love her performance in this film. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: I mean, like young Debbie playing old Debbie as a as a rich widow. Like goals, honestly.
0: Honestly, honestly, Debbie <laughs> Reynolds is just goals forever, even up to Halloween Town. Hell, yeah. um, hell yes, hell yeah. We'll come back to Halloween well one in a minute because I really think you kind of have to talk about the the next, like the next film, in conjunction because they're so similar in terms of what they're trying to do, and that is the infamous Cleopatra, um, directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, um, starring Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra, Richard Burden as Mark Anthony. It's where they met apparently and began yes. their their notorious affair. Um, yes,
1: the studio actually sued them. Well, uh, she Taylor sued them first because she didn't get um, the money on the back end that she was expe- suspecting expecting. Um, they, even though they had already paid her two million dollars, um, so the studio basically countersued to be like, "Well, your torrid affair is is ruining the name of the film." But like low-key, they were in like private. They admitted like that's the only reason people are seeing this film, and they recut the film to um, emphasize that that romance like they cut out some of um rex harrison's stuff
0: which is good <laughs> spoiler alert um the to really quickly sum up this film's story production and there's probably stuff i'm leaving out too because there's so much to talk about um originally it was going to be filmed in 1961 with a different director ruben um memelin um elizabeth taylor became sick it was production was shut down for um for you a bit and, right yes sorry yeah it's okay. um You know me with names. Um, Production was shut down when Taylor became sick. um, And at that point, they had filmed for 16 weeks and cost $7 million but only had 10 minutes of film. So they fired Mamoulian and um, Mankiewicz came on to finish the film. The original cut was six hours long, which is fucking insane. Um,
1: I can't be sure that the one I watched wasn't six hours long.
0: Honestly. And um, they – like – they tried to split it into two films, Caesar and Cleopatra and Anthony and Cleopatra, but were rejected by the studio, so they released it in a four-hour cut. Um, it cost $31 million to produce, which is $260 million today. It was the most expensive film ever made, and um, it actually led, somewhat sadly, to Marilyn Monroe's last film, Something's Gotta Give, being canceled mid-production. Um, and... The final gross was 57.8 million which is 484 million today.
1: Yeah. And which it, means it didn't technically make back its its like production costs and marketing costs apparently.
0: Yeah, it's like some like you, they always say like the true measure of success is if a movie does 2.5 times its budget and it is it not? <laughs> yeah. Um I think I, I mean two, it
1: like it almost bankrupted 20th Century Fox.
0: <laughs> yeah, it truly was like a disastrous film on some level and received mixed reviews at the time even Mm -hmm. though like it's been pretty reevaluated um yeah there's a lot to unpack with this one um marissa what are your thoughts i'm very
1: i'm very curious about like we we both love elizabeth taylor so i'm curious well i've been on a real journey with this film because i saw it years ago um in a theater with uh, a couple friends um I think it's worth noting that the person who originally showed it to me framed it to the two people who hadn't seen it in the room, me and the other guy, um, that it was better than Titanic because he hates Titanic. And all right, halfway all right. through, this dude. yeah, halfway <laughs> through, I was like, you're a lying fucking bitch. And I never want to hear you speak ill of Titanic again. This is far better. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it's not very good. Um, like, actually, the thing he said that always makes, makes me laugh is like, I really turned on it in, on, in hour three. And I was like, yeah, so did all of us. It sucks. <laughs> it's awful. Um, so, yeah, I hated it for a long time. And I almost did not watch it again for this because... I didn't watch it that many years ago, um, and also I really hated it. But I did watch it again, this time at home, where I could, you know, make dinner while it was on. Um, and it worked better for me this time, I will admit. Um, but I still think it's not great. Like, it's not – I don't know if it's worth watching. I, I think it would have been interesting to release – see the two two-movie release, because this is going to be really shocking to everyone. But I think the – I think the Caesar stuff works better and I, I actually don't know if Taylor and Burton have any chemistry in this fucking movie, mm. which is bizarre because they were apparently fucking like rabbits at this point. I mean, she was like, you know, sending divorce papers to Eddie Fisher the second she could. Um, so I but I don't I just I think Rex Harrison is really interesting in it. And again, shocking because how how much I ha- viscerally hate him in previous episodes. Um, And future episodes, realistically. But, like, I don't know. I didn't hate him in this. Um, Like, I think he's fine. I think Taylor, the first time, I thought was bad. Like, honestly, just bad. She's fine for me now, but I really think she's – I don't – Mark Antony is such a fucking, like, boring mope emo bitch that I just could not give one fucking shit about him. And I was like, the faster he dies, the better. But, like – it's not fast. It's still, we've still got an hour two like two hours left when he, when, when he becomes <laughs> essentially the male lead of the film. And I was like, Oh my God, this is brutal. I don't understand how they ever wanted to sleep together. Like it's so boring. Can you imagine being some like, you know, paying your 50 cents or whatever in 1963 and going to see in this theater to think like, this is the movie that like Richard Burton and Ta- Elizabeth Taylor just like met and had this fiery affair on and being like, this is it? This? This film? Right here? Oh my God.
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny. I had a similar... So, so I didn't watch it in a the theater, but um, my first time watching this... I, I look back, I watched it at college at some point, and I was truly like, when did I at the time? <laughs> like, what <laughs> compelled me to, in the midst of be going to school to watch a four hour film? But I did, and I remember being very much like, well, that was four hours of my life. And um, I woke up one morning to watch it again for this podcast, and like, I woke up early in the morning, by the time it ended, it was like in the afternoon, <laughs> and um, I was originally watching another movie after it and I decided, nope, I need to go outside. And, like... It like, makes you hate film. It makes you hate film. And it's, like, it's wild because it's a movie with a lot that works in it. Like, yeah. it's incredible spectacle. Some of it is still phenomenal to look at. Like, there, when there Cle- are...
1: When Cleopatra comes to Rome, I mean, that's mm-hmm. fucking cinema. That is fucking it's cinema. Insane. And, um,
0: the, like... The battle scene at the, on water is incredible and, like, looks like people are actually being hurt. And I was like I'm – like, I'm like, what is going on on this set? Like, there are moments that are so beautifully filmed. And then there are moments that – and this gets to my main problem with the movie. Like, there are moments that are written to be fantastic and then are so uninspired in the execution. Like, mm. I think all the time about Cleopatra's introduction to the film where she's, like – hiding in a carpet that she gets unfolded out of and what, the what a, is that what I, a brilliant idea for a scene and it, the way it is filmed her first shot is her, like she gets unfolded and lands on her stomach like it's like it is like the most unceremonious unfolding of a character like i like it just shows you how everybody involved in destruction was straight or deeply repressing someone <laughs>
1: <laughs> <She> <laughs> because i'm like no one would ever do this like, fly out of it, and she's like smoking a cigarette, you know? Absolutely. That is the energy that, like, the movie should have, and it
0: doesn't. I think that carries over into the performances. Um, I love Elizabeth Taylor, obviously. She's fantastic. When we get to the Virginia Woolf year, I'm going to go nuts. Another Richard Burton film. Um, which I mean... Oh, was- uh, like, to, to think they did Virginia Woolf together says a lot about their relationship. But, um, just like it is a it it is a film where she comes off almost as bored i don't know like i don't want to like um like guess how the production might have affected her performance but like it is easily i think the least inspired i've seen her in a film even though i haven't seen butterfield 8 so i will use that as like a (laughs) like a caveat (laughs) yeah like i maybe i'll change but she just seems so uninterested in this in this Whole um, film, the men are fine, but like similarly, like I don't think either of them are really doing much. Like it, I will agree with you, Rex Harrison is probably the best of the bunch of the core trio. Um, the best performance in my mind, and the only person who seems to be trying is Rodney McDowell, who plays Octavian. Um, but he gets introduced a little too late, I think, yeah. to make much of an impression. I don't know. It's a weird movie because it's it's not bad, but and like the moments that are good are so good, but. I don't know if it's if it's really ever worth the four hours. It is a very punishing four hours. Well, that's the
1: thing. It's, it's not bad. It's a chore. It's an utter chore. And I and I think you're right. It does feel like I mean, usually Liz just, you know, walking into a room is like, holy shit, you know, like mm-hmm. the camera loves her, but she seems so fucking dead in this. And like and I don't know what that's about. Like, I think I I think she's. She was better than the first time I – I liked her more the first than the first time I saw her. But, like, I still think it's like, man, how do you get the biggest, most beautiful star in the world at that point and, like, do give her nothing to do? Nothing.
0: Absolutely. It is, like, barely even her movie. Like, she – um, Ooh. like, and then she's such an, a weirdly written character. Like, you never quite can tell if you're supposed to like her or if you're supposed to be, like, an unlikely person. There's so many scenes that come off as – I don't want to say tone-deaf, because I don't think they're even trying to set a tone. But, like, there's one scene where, like, one of her servants who's supposed to taste her food for her, um, like, to see if it's not poison or not, like, is clearly hiding something and is, like, trying to poison her. And it is such an odd moment where I'm like, who are we supposed to, like, root for in this scene? Like, I don't know how Taylor's playing it. Like, is she supposed to be, like... Are we yeah. supposed to be like, yeah, fuck her up, or are we supposed to be like, damn, she's cold? Like what? Like I don't know what that scene is supposed to be. I don't think the movie knows. It is just like really empty spectacle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I can't tell if the movie wants us to think she is like a villain who ruined these men's lives, or, or like a conniving bitch, or like you know, awesome. And like obviously, I, 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 I would am always going to side with you know. Cleopatra and Elizabeth Taylor but like yeah I don't know what the film wants me to what is what does the film want from me (laughs) like what is it eliciting reaction
0: (laughs) the only scenes where she it really seems to have like an emotional core are the scenes with her son but Mm -hmm. they are so rarely implemented where it's like like I don't care like both times her son shows up I was like oh yeah she has a son (laughs) Like it is just like, like I think she forgets constantly too it is a (laughs) <laughs> like it, it's a very strange little film, but like I think it's interesting to talk in conjunction with How the West Was Won because they represent this like kind of spectacle we just don't get anymore. I don't know, like oh. like we've talked about this on both of our podcasts so much, and it's kind of my existential um fear about where Hollywood filmmaking for action and like blockbuster films is going. Where you know this year alone we had um, End Game, which I have my my good film. My complaints are well documented of just how ugly that last scene is. That should feel epic, and all I think about while watching it is like, oh, like none of these actors spent any time together, and it is very poorly like meshed together in an editing room. And then I
1: Archie Punjabi and the Good Wife,
0: (laughs) one of my favorite television (laughs) moments of all time. Um, (laughs) and then um. Like, just today that we're recording, I saw the new Terminator film, which is a decent film, but, like, the the action is so ugly and so clearly filmed in this way where, like, no one was ever actually on a set. It is entirely computer-generated, and I just, like, you know, I miss this level of spectacle. I don't know if we'll ever get it back, because as we've seen from Cleopatra, like, it's expensive and can lead to bankruptcy. But, like, I think we lost something, because as much as... I would rather watch an Endgame or any Marvel movie really than a Cleopatra for many reasons. Like, the level of spectacle I had while watching Cleopatra, no Marvel film except for maybe Black Panther has ever come
1: close to. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? No, the visual sumptuousness is just not there. Like... Uh, you're you're absolutely right, they should be talked about in conjunction because, like, for me, how the West is won is is spectacle done in the right way, where the spectacle is so wonderful that it does not matter that there are some weaknesses. Um, and Cleopatra, it's just the opposite of like there's so <laughs> there's so many weaknesses that they just smother the spectacle, which is great. I mean, truly, her coming into uh, Rome is like honestly one of the best things I've ever seen on film. And like that boat battle's fucking great, man. Like, mm-hmm. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean wishes any of them. Maybe <laughs> the first one, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> it's it's uh, I don't know. There is something wonderful about it. I get why we don't do it anymore. It's too expensive. But like, and we I mean we do do it. It's just all CGI, but it just sucks. It's just it's it looks like shit.
0: At least we have our Mission Impossible's and our Mad Maxes. Oh um, God, to keep us alive. Basically. I would watch
1: <laughs> Mission Impossible Seven or whatever in Cinerama. You best believe
0: god let them let them do it in Cinerama I'm just like my whole life now is waiting for Mission Impossible 7 at this point honestly
1: Um, I'm telling you give me like fucking Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell in Cinerama fucking uh like do do 128 frames per second I'm there I want it give me that
0: Ooh, that'd be good god now maybe, this is our mission of hostile podcast. we're pivoting because <laughs> we don't want to talk about the rest of these movies. <laughs> um do you have any last thoughts or should we move on to the categories?
1: now nah, let's move on oh uh i I guess I should pick the are we gonna we're probably gonna pick the same winner for best Picture, I assume right
0: I imagine yeah, um
1: there we go um
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the only choice. I like Tom Jones, but like no comparison, <laughs>
1: yeah. If I were going to suggest one to someone, it would be How the West is one.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, let's move on. Best Director... <sighs> oh, God, we're going to have a lot of movies that like we just go off on because some of these nominate Jesus. Um, yeah, um, best Director. Tony Richardson won for Tom Jones. Also nominated, um, Federico Fellini for Eight and a Half. Elliot Kazan for America, America. Otto Preminger for The Cardinal. And Martin Ritt for HUD. Uh, Mar- Marissa, who are you
1: going with? Um, uh, I've seen all of these in this category, and I i don't um, – the only two films that I sort of acknowledge is, as liking, well, likely – I don't know, might surprise people, but um, – Tony Richardson for Tom Jones and Otto Preminger for the Cardinal. I I, I think they're interesting films. I am actually I don't understand why any like, I guess you can't for the how how the West was won because it's multiple directors directing right. certain scenes only, but like, that's who you probably I mean any one of them probably could have been not should have been nominated, but oh well. Um, but I think I have to give it to Tony Richardson just because of what that film stylistically suggests about where where film was going and how it as we talked about probably influenced a lot of people um that said like the cardinal is um is a religious picture that i about a cardinal <laughs> it's about the life of a priest who has to navigate like you know various like moral issues like his uh, sister gets married or uh, pregnant out of wedlock and And then he falls in love with it. Well, he decides he might not want to be in the priesthood. So he like almost falls in love with a woman. But then he ends up, you know, pulling a hot priest situation and going back to the uh, the clergy. I mean, he's the guy, by the way, is super hot. It's Tom (laughs) uh, Tryon. But um, yeah, I, I like that's a very good looking film cinematography wise and like direction and the way it's put together. But like, I don't know, I think of this group of films, Richardson's film is the only one that feels like it's. Pushing the the genre or the you know the the art form forward in any in any way at all.
0: Yeah, I I really wish I could have caught the cardinal. It's very hard to to find, and I thought it was on iTunes, but it turns out it's only available on iTunes Canada, so which I learned too late. But um, yeah, I had not, to borrow a friend's DVD. It sounds interesting. Um, maybe I'll catch it eventually. I, I don't know, but this is a weird lineup. For a director in general, um, I watched Eight and a Half for this podcast actually, and I think that film, like I was happy to cross it off because it was one of those like just like classics that I hadn't gotten to see yet, and um, it's interesting. But I do think it's one, it's like it's an odd movie that I think makes the same point over and over and over again, and probably doesn't need to. And like many films from this from this just like year in general, the gender politics are not not great but
1: um yeah. and it's all about gender pro- politics realistically which is the
0: toughest thing about it <laughs> yeah um and it gave us the horrible nine which i yeah. will never forgive it for but yeah it, um, it
1: does i mean i will say nine I, I think i've said it on the podcast has one brilliant scene and that is fergie doing a uh, be italian
0: which the eight and a half version of is wild and so different from Fergie's incarnation of that part but
1: yes this um, podcaster
0: was quite disappointed (laughs) um but the um I'll go with Tony Richardson as well I think eight and a half like Fellini is his directing is very strong and there are some scenes that are very effective in that film but um I agree Tony Richardson just it's like what he's able to do with Tom Jones is so influential and feels so like punk rock in a weird way for that genre that I I respect it I, I, I love that win actually yeah um all right let's go let's go to the boys let's do actor um as you mentioned sydney poitier won making him the first black actor to win an an, um an, an oscar also nominated albert finney for tom jones richard harris for this this sporting life rex harrison for cleopatra and paul newman for hud i think we've seen all five of them each of us right
1: yeah yeah i i indeed sat through hud (laughs)
0: do you want to talk about HUD or we'll have so many chances to talk about HUD, but, um,
1: yeah, I mean, we have to, I suppose, but like, I don't know. I just thought it was bad. I just really (laughs) hated it. Like, I feel like the big thing to talk about in this category is, is, um, Richard Harris, who at the time looked like fucking Brando, um, and was actually called that in like the press. He was like the Irish answer to Brando. Um, and then, I was like, "Hmm, this guy's hot," and then went to IMDb and realized he was the Dumbledore from the first two films, and and basically had a heart attack.
0: Hmm, I um somewhat hot take. I don't really know. Harry Potter fans are fucking nuts. Um, I like his Dumbledore more than Michael Gambon's Dumbledore is my one of my hot takes. But um, same, same. Yeah, That's why we're he- friends there we go see this is it we i didn't even know that about you but i knew it about you um the uh, richard harris though yeah like i watched it too on um, the criterion channel um the sporting life and i like saw the name richard harris but i was like like for some reason it didn't click and then and- when i saw who it was i was like holy fuck like um also that movie just really throws you off in those opening scenes because there's a lot of like casual sport male nudity and i was like (laughs) like, i'm like oh shit i like this type of movie (laughs) um but yeah it's like a interesting movie this sporting life of like taxi driver in the sports world basically and i found it i found it very compelling in a weird way um and like weirdly haunting i don't think i understood a word of what the hell was going on but i i I was fascinated by it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it has, like, this weirdly haunting quality to it of, like, watching this person's men- uh, mental health deteriorate, deteriorate. It's it's an interesting movie. Um, and then I liked Tud I think, a little more than you, but I definitely didn't love it. And my um, main takeaway from it was just I, like, wonder how I would feel if I saw it before I watched um The Last Picture Show, which is one of my favorite movies. I saw that when I was like in high school and it really made a mark. And it's exploring many of the same themes and even has a similar tone as yeah. HUD. So what have you seen Last Picture Show? I don't remember if we ever talked
1: oh, about yeah, it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful film, one of my all time favorites and exploring many of the same themes but with like more care, I think. I don't know. Um
1: Yeah. Well it's 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 I mean it's you know, it's about moral decay and a... Uh, in a, in a small town that's also decaying. And, like, I don't know. It's just, like, uh, that guy... Paul Newman's character is such a horrible, misogynist shithead that I just had very little interest in it, even though everything else about it is actually pretty good and it's got great sim- cinematography. And, like, his performance is great, even if he is the most obnoxious person in the world.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this is true, but I read it on Wikipedia how his character was originally envisioned as, like, a supporting character. Yeah. And that was a mistake to make him leave because i know the movie is condemning his behavior on some level but they're not condemning it quite explicitly enough
1: yeah we can't joker our way through it is all i'm saying
0: yeah especially with how dark it gets and also just yeah like it's like the main character is that kid and he really is like a blank slate compared to hud so it's it's an it's an odd movie but with all that being said who are you voting for (laughs) for this lineup um
1: I, I feel very weird about taking it away from Poitier considering everything else that happened. Although I will say I did give it – I argued that he should have been nominated and won in, six, in our 67 episode. So there's that. But like of of these performances, I would honestly give it to Richard Harris.
0: Yeah, it was a tough call. Um, uh, I like – I love Harris too. I think it's just like, – it is the most te- technically interesting performance I think – yeah. And just, I think a big part was was a surprise factor, but I, I was impressed with him. Um, yeah.
1: Well, because he's playing, you know, usually when you see that character, he's like a big, beefy rugby rugby player who's like an asshole, and I, I don't know, you you assume he's a monster, but there is a soft side to him that he like actually works in a way that films that do that narrative so rarely actually pull off. Like absolutely. And, and the actors playing them so rarely pull off. And, like, you you oddly do root for him to just, like, figure it out, even though he's, like, a sloppy disaster.
0: There's that great scene of him in bed with his girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. Or, like, not girlfriend, like, quasi- like person he's sleeping with, what he wants to be more serious with. And you weirdly do feel bad for him on some level, even though he is, like, this guy who's self-destructing. It's a very, very interesting performance. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I think, uh, totally. I th- Like, I remember thinking in that scene of, like, I am not actually sure what her character wants out of life or what we we're supposed to think she wants out of anything. So, like, I don't I probably should be more sympathetic to her. But, like, I, the only person I'm really connecting with in the scene is him. And, I, and I'm not sure why. Do you know? I don't know. It's just because because everything is so hot and cold that it's like I don't understand <laughs> yeah. why they why they can't just get married. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so like, yeah, but he's great in that scene and he's great throughout it. Really?
0: yeah it's a really good performance um but yeah it is tough to take it away from Sidney Poitier but that movie is just so bad and we're on the record of loving his other films so you know our conscience is clean um unlike the academies
1: unlike the academy (laughs) there we go
0: um let's stick with the boys and carry through to supporting actor uh Melvin Douglas won for HUD also nominated Nick Adams for Twilight of Honor a movie that I was not able to see because I don't think it's like even available beyond dpd well, um, apparently
1: sort of melissa leo'd his way into that nomination so it's probably not actually that good that make, makes sense but respect to melissa leo um, <laughs> love melissa leo yeah her performance is good in that it's just you know the consider thing no one's ever gonna forgive her for it nope
0: <laughs> she's disappeared um nick adams for twilight of honor bobby Bobby Darren for Captain Newman, M.D. Hugh Griffith for Tom Jones, and John Houston for the Cardinal.
1: Who are you going with, Marissa? What a garbage fucking! I mean, I, we say it every fucking episode, but this is such garbage. Um, <laughs> I mean, some of these are fine. John Houston is barely in the Cardinal. I think it should be noted he's got like four four. No, I don't think he's in that many scenes. He's got like three scenes in the whole fucking thing. I swear to you. Um, he's fine in it. It's his acting debut, which is why they probably gave him the, this, the acting nomination. Um, I, th- I can't remember. I think I gave it to Douglas for, um, 79 in being there, which is his only other win. Um, and I, I'm, f- I suppose I'm fine giving it to him again for this. Cause like, I couldn't, I only saw, I didn't see two of these but I don't remember the other ones for the most part. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody really made an impression as being great, but particularly Griffith. I mean, what a strange, I looked him up like who he was in the film and I was like, Oh, okay. I get like, why, but whatever. Um, so yeah, Douglas is fine. I mean, he's good in that movie, which I don't like very much. And, and this is also a career Oscar for him because he like had quit for a couple years acting and this was his big like comeback role. So like, I get why the Academy picked him. I mean, they didn't know '79 was coming and that he was going to be really good in being there. So, you know, what, what can you do? At least he won while, won while he was alive, for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, he's great in HUD, um, but I'm yeah. actually going to go with Bobby Darren in Captain Newman, M.D., which is a really interesting gem that I kind of discovered while doing this podcast. It is you—you um, you haven't seen it, correct?
1: No, I did. I could that. I just couldn't fit that in.
0: Yeah, it's a weird movie, um, but I'm um, like. And in, in no means in – like in no way perfect. It has – it is a very episodic film starring Gregory Peck as the psychiatrist to soldiers during World War II. And he's sort of hated in the army because mental health for soldiers is just um, not even thought about as being a real thing. Like no one acknowledges that there's this thing as PTSD or, is, or issues along those lines. And yeah, they would
1: have called it shell shock at this point still.
0: Yeah, and it's, um, and I mean, it, watching it, I got very depressed of, like, nothing's changed, but, um, but it is, um, it follows, like, a few chapters in this man's life running this, um, this ward for soldiers that need mental help, mental help, um, 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 what's his name, I'm blanking Tony Curtis is in it as, like, his sidekick of sorts, and, um, I'm blanking on everyone's name in this. The woman from Dressed Dick Hill is in it. as his love interest, who's a nurse. Angie um,
1: Dickinson.
0: Yes, Angie Dickinson. Yes, and she's really wonderful in it. And Bobby Darren, who um, is my supporting actor for this episode, takes uh, plays a very young soldier who has like deeply repressed an incident from the battlefield, and he has like intense anxiety now, but he's in denial about it and. He forms a very interesting relationship with Gregory Peck, where um, he doesn't want, like, he doesn't even want to acknowledge that he needs help, and he's developing something of a drinking problem. And it's a really effective chapter that sort of is like the most emotional of them all. And Bobby Darren's wonderful in it. It's like it's a very powerful performance that uh, in a film filled with many like interesting performances that kind of veer comedic, in, like so. Um, Tony Curtis's entire. Um character is very comedic, but then you have this arc with Bobby Darren that is very strong and very emotional, and really won me over the, the, again the movie had some problems it like n- you know mental health was like not valued back um in the during World War two and even in the sixties really but like um they it's very old school in what they think will help a lot of these men, and there are some arcs that be are a little misogynistic and Oosh. um there, like, it definitely has some uncomfortable moments along the lines, but it the more episodes work than don't. I think it's aged a lot better than something like Mash, like the film, not the TV show, which mm. like the film Mash is incredibly sexist. And I think this movie, oh,
1: yeah, I really did not like that film, boy.
0: Yeah, it's like at least this film is definitely has problems, but it never gets to this point where you're like so physically uncomfortable that <laughs> as I was during Mash. But yeah, Bob Darren, like really wonderful in it. And especially in this weak fucking year, like I'm happy with him winning, even though Melvin Douglas is also great. Yeah. Yeah. God, what a terrible year. Supporting actor is always <laughs> the worst,
1: the worst category. It's always, I mean, it was really bad in the previous year. Let's not forget like RIP. No, don't rest in peace. 1941, eat shit. But like, eat shit. yeah, I don't, it's. It's true. I mean, the more we do this, the more it's it does really seem to be true that supporting actor is always the worst fucking category.
0: Absolutely. Um, But let's go to a category that I think might be worse. Um, Sorry, sorry, ladies. Um, Let's go to supporting actress, which you know, as a queer man, supporting actress is an incredibly important category to me. not this year. What a shit show of a year. Oh. the The winner is Margaret Rutherford, who um, was in the VIPs, which we will talk about. Oh. She is was the oldest winner at the time. Um, also nominated was um, Lila S- Lilia Sc- Scala from Lilies of the Fields, and then three of the actresses from Tom Jones. Diane Salento, who plays Molly Seagram, Edith Evans, who plays Miss Western, and Joyce Redman, who plays two roles, Mrs. Waters and Jenny Jones. Um, Marissa, who are you going with on this one? <laughs>
1: um, I, I did not watch the VIPs because I was – i really, in 1963 had turned on it by then. I mean after the double whammy of 1941 to 1963, I was like, this project is done. Um, <laughs> I, I think I will go with Chalento because she is fun as that like sort of bitchy prostitute in, in Tom Jones. Boy, is she having a lot of fun and like her hair's dyed, you know, she, added don't I, 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 almost, I almost wanted to give it to Lilia Scala because her life was apparently terrible. She was like a waitress at this point in her career. Mm. Um, like, and, and like had basically not been able to act because of like horrible situations, but like, no, I hate that movie so much, and I hate that character. It's Diane all the way.
0: Um, yeah, I'll go with. I'll just say right now, I'm going with that too. It is like I I like Tom Jones, and there are some interesting female performances. Edith Evans and Joyce Redmond feel like very weird choices for. Yeah, honestly, to, what the fuck, uh, Susanna? What did Susanna York do? Kill a puppy? She's like I think even better than Diane Salento, to be honest. Like of the yeah. women in like it's like it's insane to me that. She's going to get nominated, but Diane Salonta is good, so I will be happy to give it to her. But um, I really want to just, like, I need to tell somebody about the VIPs because, like, (laughs) what a strange movie that just fully doesn't exist. Um, It is a movie set at an airport (laughs) where a bunch of rich and famous people are about to board an airplane, and there is an intense fog, so all of them are stuck, and they're all forced to deal with their various problems essentially well as they wait it feels very much like those like almost like a towering inferno type thing where um like there's so many so much different going on and everybody's like stuck with the same situation but with like much lower stakes and um it's another elizabeth taylor richard burton film where elizabeth taylor is playing an actress who's about to run off with her um lover to America and um, yeah and Burden is her husband who she's trying to run away from but because there was no airplane security um, at the time he's able to get into the airport and because of the fog catch her and like try to convince her to stay so that's the main arc and
1: Yeah, the You unpack. know, the studio rushed that picture through to get released that year because of all the controversy, but yeah, wow, that's incredible.
0: It's insane. It is an insane film. <laughs> oh, man. So that, that's the main arc, and it's the one that takes up most of the time, and it's almost <laughs> insane that they even bother to do other subplots because they don't even care about <laughs> them. But the weirdest thing about this movie that stuck with me is that like the other subplots in the film are basically strictly comedic. There's one... Of starring Maggie Smith uh, a very young Maggie Smith which is hysterical because she looks obviously like in her 20s but like she has that Maggie Smith voice still and it's like yeah. like disorienting to watch basically <laughs> but um, but she plays like a secretary who's in love with her um, um boss who's about to commit some sort of like financial crime and she's like willing to like go to jail for him and everything like that because she loves him so much and oh. then um, Orson Welles plays like a a director who um is like interested in his like hot but like dumb star and everything which is like a very gross subplot of just like mocking this very on brand for orson wells <laughs> on brand but very very gross and then margaret Rutherf- rutherford plays this elderly woman who is trying to secure money so she, she can she can keep her estate but like it's a strictly comedic part where, she, like, the whole joke is just that, like, she's dumb, basically. It is, like, <laughs> like the the best way I could describe it, and, like, this is how my brother watched a few scenes with me, and, like, we came to this conclusion, and this is a weird callback, but, like, she's basically Amelia Bedelia, like, the, the children's book, wow. where, like, she takes, like, everything very literally, and, like, there's one scene where they're on the plane where um, they're like, please put on your seatbelt. And she's like, I, for- I didn't bring my seatbelt with me. And they're like, no, it's here. And she doesn't like connect that it's like on the chair. And it's like this whole like drawn out joke that's very much not funny. And it is insane to me that she won an Oscar for <laughs> this movie. I know it, a big part of it was like her standing in the industry and like the narrative of she would be the oldest Oscar winner. But it is like, she's not even bad at it, it is just a nonsense part in a film that is not particularly good and um just like i was going insane watching it like i was like and i spent money on it too i was like this is inferior Ooh. that i even bothered to watch this you dodged a bullet marissa
1: <laughs> yeah i i feel like i i was considering it and then i read your review and then i was like lol no <laughs> no you
0: you are very lucky god the <laughs> fucking ugh, whatever like to have a best best support a bad best supporting actress lineup is just a sin yeah. Essentially.
1: Um, yeah even even
0: 41 wasn't this bad i know it's so disappointing and it's made even more disappointing by one fact about the best actress lineup which we'll get to in a minute the the winner is patricia Neal for hud also nominated leslie karen for the l-shaped room which i don't think either of us have watched um no and it's hard to i didn't couldn't
1: i don't think it was even available anywhere
0: yeah i think like amazon did like said like you could buy a dvd from a third party but i was like i don't trust that third party yeah um no. also nominated shirley McLean for irma leduce um rachel roberts for this this sporting life and natalie wood for love with the proper stranger um i just want to say right off the bat um patricia neal wonderful in Hut. i like is not a leading actress and it is insane she was nominated a leading actress like if she was um put in supporting i would have happily given her supporting and we wouldn't have this whole rant and i would like none of you would have to know what the vips was like but like but patricia Neal was put in lead and it is in i i like Honestly, I think it's probably my favorite performance of the group, but I'm not giving it to her purely because it's like absolutely not. Like, I think she has less than 20 minutes, if I remember reading, or like just she's barely over 20. in the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because she's the only like woman, right? Yeah, it's woman. like she's lead woman by default. Like, <laughs> um, but she is. All jokes aside, she's really wonderful in the movie. Um, but yeah, I I refuse. Yeah.
1: Um, who are you going to give it to? Oh, my God. The, uh, what a delight that was. Um, <laughs> wait, who did you give it to instead of her? Oh, I, I'll go after you. Let's, let's, oh, I'm, okay. I'm here I was going to say, I hope I didn't just interrupt. Um, uh, I, I feel like before I can answer this question, I do I do briefly want to talk about uh, Irma LaDuce and and uh, Love with a Proper Stranger, which we both watched. Um, she is technically the lead of that thing, and, well... I you I honestly think you could argue that Irma La is an, is a supporting actress in her own fucking movie, which is speaks to what a like misogynist nightmare that film is. I hated it. <laughs> um, it's like just a really funny comedy about a dude gaslighting a girl into like giving up her economic d- autonomy and shit. It's great, um, boy. I hated it. Uh, I, but it's <laughs> like opening the question of category fraud really has made me wonder if she's not a supporting actress because like she's barely in that movie and she doesn't have like anything to do in that movie for the most part she's like reactive a lot but it's mostly like jack lemon like hamming it up and being like a dork who wants to do everything possible to like make sure he can control her um and like not respecting sex work which is just not for me yeah, um
0: it's um it's a really i watched it for this pod also and um I was so excited because I really didn't know too much about it. I had heard about it. Like, I knew the basic plot going in because I had read about it before because The Apartment is one of my like top 10 movies. I I love that yeah. everybody loves that movie. <laughs> um and um yeah, it's like it's funny because on some levels it's a, it's like weirdly more respect um respectful to sex work than I thought it would be but then you have Jack Lemmon's character who like I think he's positioned as like the square in the whole situation throughout the whole thing but it is
1: like the problem is that the goddamn movie just reinforces heteronormativity and and how sex work is bad through his character because we're supposed to we spend the most time with him so it's just like I can't I can't yeah. do anything
0: you know what I mean Yeah it just it's a gross movie and like raised issues about consent and everything because of Mm -hmm. like his whole like deceit angle and yeah I I I love Shirley MacLaine and she's she's funny in the movie but um it is like something she could do in her sleep almost like it feels very much like and I think Jack Lemmon is actively bad in the movie which is um like rare because I I usually love him as an actor but this is disappointing for uh, like uh the apartment (laughs) follow-up
1: Yeah, I was excited, and it, boy, it sucks.
0: Um, let's talk about the um, the love love with the proper stranger, also because that movie is fascinating. Do you want to get into the plot on that one a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's about um, the two most beautiful fucking stars possible at that point in history, um, Natalie Wood and Steve McQueen. He is a um, a musician, not a typical, uh, not a terribly successful one, but he he is a traveling musician, um, born in New York city and uh he is waiting to he's trying to get a gig one day when a girl walks up who he's had a one night stand with natalie wood and is like i'm pregnant i need a doctor wink wink she look she's looking for an abortionist it's 1963 she can't say that um she'll just get arrested in the street um so they basically go on a a journey through the city together to try to find a doctor for her and on, along the way trying to raise the money for that abortion, they, they end up, um, meeting his family first on like the West side highway, which is <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> or like, <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know. I think they're probably supposed to be out in Brooklyn somewhere, but it kind of looks like they just filmed it on the West side highway or the, 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 uh, the other side actually. Um, and then, uh, her family gets involved because they see she's running around with some ne'er do well boy they've never met and blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's a sort of like comedy aspect to it, but like I, I the thing that uh, was, sort it's a weird movie that like, it's clearly an issue picture, but it's also a rom-com. And for me, the rom-com stuff didn't quite work because of the sort of potent, um, historical aspect of it all. Um, but you liked, I mean, I'll get into that in a, I can, I can get into that in a minute, but what, you liked the comedy stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I thought now that I liked it so much more than everything else, but like it was the element that was strongest to me because I think Wood and McQueen were really leaning into that sensibility and like they have the chemistry and like the comedic timing, especially in their last like two scenes together to make that, to make that chemistry work for me. And I was like weirdly reminded of, um, like almost like a, Cameron Crowe movie or something like that, like a, a rom com that like takes like a long road to getting to the rom com elements.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't mind all of that necessarily, but like, I like, I found the the scene where they finally go to a doctor and are about to get the ador- abortion done, which like anyone who's seen a Hollywood picture and especially one in mid century would know that obviously the abortion's not going to happen. Like, but like that scene very potent where you you thought it was bad, right? Yeah, it, it was.
0: It's hard to, to separate the modern sensibility, and that's totally on my um bad as a viewer but like it like it's almost shot in like a way that feels so like horrific and everything and it t- it took me out of the movie I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think I I think you, you have to be careful not to be historical in uh, looking yeah. at that scene because like yes you could I, like in some way like I thought that scene was going to be a little more anti Abortion and there are elements like the abortions are sort of depicted as these like ghouls Mm -hmm. who just are like taking their money and really maybe don't have any medical training who knows or don't have a lot. Um, But it's also like a a, the Natalie Wood's horror in that scene and uh, McQueen's like you know sudden protectiveness in that scene totally track considering how dangerous. Uh, getting an abortion would be at that time and especially mm-hmm. like all of the shame associated with it up until that point like you know she has to go to him and uh, like and she's uh, t- like that none of them are feel bad necessarily bad about having to get the abortion it's the the bullshit government you know uh, has placed in the way to getting that that abortion mm-hmm. that is really the problem for them um mm-hmm. like and like realistically yeah she should be acting like a traumatized woman in that scene because she is the possibility there's a very real possibility that she could either die or be sterilized by by mm-hmm. this moment you know and like that's horrifying and like that, like that works for and natalie wood is really good in the scene like the way how 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 upset she gets mm-hmm. because it's like you know that's a very real possibility that any woman especially at that time and frankly again now has had to sort of consider like what what are the lengths you would go to and how how bad would it how bad could this potentially be when when you know uh birth control and all this shit is not readily available basically
0: yeah um in a way the scene does almost serve not to get too political but like um it almost serves as like this important i think reminder to people today of like we don't want to go back here. <laughs> like, um, if sure. we want like watching it in a modern lens, it's like, oh, like, we do not want to make this the reality again because look at how traumatic it is. And like, I really my issue is so much with that one scene in and of itself, but like the that whole element of it coupled with the way at the end of the film, like I think you mentioned this in your review. It's very progressive in the way she um is trying to push away from her family and wants this independence. But it's like upsetting to me that at the end, like that independence is hand in hand with like domesticity and everything like that. And like this idea of like a happy married household. And I understand that's like the reality for a lot of people, especially at that time. Yeah. But um it just like, it made me question like re question the tone of that abortion scene of like, what is it explicitly condemning? And I don't know. It's a, it's an, it's a, t- it's a tough movie to watch for me and, like, separate my modern sensibility, but it is, like, interesting I w- like and, like, surprisingly um, honest, I guess I would say, about, like, exploring the t- topic of abortion in a way that, like, I... so few movies seem to have done even today, honestly. Like, abortion is, like, this topic that is just not explored well in film.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I didn't quite uh, connect with the rom-com elements of it, because it's, like yeah i I wouldn't mind them falling you know falling madly in love with each other as they sort of go on this journey to uh, have fixed this the product of this mistake that they've made in their minds like that that's fine but like the rom-com element makes that all seem too slight and like takes away the sort of gravity of what the two of them are facing as young people Mm -hmm. with zero options essentially so like if they were two separate things, sure. Like, and it's not like you can't do it. I mean, uh, obvious child did it a couple of years ago, very yeah, brilliantly, you know? You can do comedy and drama at the same moment. And realistically, on some level, Juno does a lot of that, even though there's no abortion in that. But like you can absolutely do it. I just don't think the comedy here is integrated well enough to carry it off. Like especially the end of it is so. Like it depends so much on on the McQueen character being a a man child that like you the longer that it goes on for those last couple scenes, the more you're like, why, why, why is this a satisfying ending for her? Like if they had just not had to lean on that shit and he just like realized it was fine to be in love with her 20 minutes earlier, the film would be much better. Full stop. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't even disagree. Really, it is—it is a strange movie. I think we both said that in our review of just like it is a movie that feels like two separate films. I don't know who's trying to make a what film, but um, yeah. But I'm in a way like it's one of the better experiences I had watching a movie for this year because I just find it so interesting and yeah, totally took me by surprise. Um, And I absolutely like watch it again. Yeah, I mean, like. (laughs) spoiler to spoiler for the best actress category but like like at now it was like absolutely my winner and it's like she's incredible and it is like what a interesting career she had for someone who i think is mainly today known for west side story um which like great film i don't think she's particularly good in
1: um like it's that's slander and we're gonna talk about it in a couple years i'm sure
0: in our next season actually oh yeah um, right
1: yeah 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 right but
0: um i think she's she's so wonderful in this movie and i like yeah she's she's my win i think she's she's terrific and like like you said there had never been two better looking people in a movie before her and steve it's
1: too much yeah i agree with natalie i mean rachel roberts is really good in this sporting life but again i don't know what her character's motivations are so yeah it's natalie wood
0: yeah, it's, what a good performance! It's, what an interesting movie, like we said before. This one's actually on Cano, canopy. Canopy people—is that how you watched it? Um, um no. <laughs>
1: oh, no. Oh, interesting. No comment on how I watched.
0: It. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, well, you're you're in New York, so like canopy might not be available to you. I think they no. Yeah,
1: it's not anymore through the library, uh, unfortunately
0: yeah um canopy for those who don't know is a is a streaming service that um is free through your library at most libraries including my own and um it's an incredible resource if you have a library card like the the movies they have on there are incredible and it's free if you have a library card so just please like this movie's on there go go explore canopy support your local libraries Um, yeah
1: fucking new york just ended that like this year and people were like pissed it's so upsetting it's like
0: we don't have to get into it, but yeah. <laughs> New York, New York hates poor people. Um, oh, <laughs> we don't have to talk about that on mic. Um So, is that all the? Ca- yeah, we, we went through all the categories. Um, we want to, as always, though. We like to honor or spotlight one of the other categories, and uh, this one—it's uh, a short said um section to spotlight but best sound effects was introduced to the nominations this year um it's a mad mad it's a mad 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 world one um, and then the only the film nominated was a gathering of eagles which is a about the u.s air force and i never heard of it before literally an hour ago but um it starred rock hudson apparently um and yeah just like it's interesting to see that this, this gets introduced this year. Um, have you seen It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? Um,
1: no. Well, yes, I've seen all of them except for A Gathering of Eagles, I should say. Um, yeah, all of them. There's two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's fun. I, I think it's a – honestly, it's a bit of a weird choice. I mean, I think there's um, there's a lot of stunts in it, so maybe that's why it won, but, like – I don't know. Uh, Yeah, it's not the thing I remember most about it. Let's say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting to see best sound effects compared to the best sound category, where you have films like Mm -hmm. Cleopatra, obviously, like the spectacle angle, like we talked about, and How the West is Won, like the two spectacle angles. And then um, also films like uh, um, It's a Mad 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 World is there, and then Captain Newman, MD, which has a few war scenes as one might expect and uh, a very interesting use of sounds in one moment where a character's having flashbacks but you don't see what they're seeing you just hear it and then um bye bye verde, which i've never seen but it's obviously a musical so um, oh uh,
1: delightful uh, we'll talk about that and another bird related thing later
0: <laughs> exciting um but yeah it just like it's interesting and best sound effects or the modern i guess incarnation of that with sound mixing and sound editing is something i'm trying i'm always trying to learn more about with the oscars because um it's such an interesting field and i feel like more than ever as some theaters are getting better sound system and i'm going to dolby films more um i'm starting to like notice more about about sound sound design and it's it's interesting but yeah this is where it all started
1: Good time to plug the documentary making waves again. <laughs> yeah. Is that available yet? If um, uh, I it, it came out in theaters finally. So I, it, I don't think it's available streaming yet, but uh, check out. I, I mean, I think it'll probably be soon if it isn't already.
0: Perfect. And this will probably be out in like a month. Oh anyway. Yeah. By so the time
1: this comes out, it probably will be actually
0: there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on sound effects or should we go into our for your consideration segment? No,
1: I'm going to mention one coming up in a second, actually.
0: All right. Perfect. Um, so let's just get into it. What um what other
1: films from 1963
0: do you want to highlight?
1: Okay, um, are there are a couple things like there. I think 1963 has some great films that are not nominated at all. Um, <laughs> Bye Bye Birdie is one of them. It's not the best musical, but it is the, one of the most fun musicals and has some. Truly great sequences. There's a, a sequence where this Elvis sort of character comes to town. That's the the titular birdie. He's he's getting drafted, but he's basically an Elvis stand-in. So like when Elvis was drafted, women, girls and women everywhere just basically fainted in the streets. And there's a scene where that happens essentially, where he comes to the small town before he's about to um, <coughs> be sent overseas <coughs> for, for this like contest type, or not a contest, but like this big uh, PR thing where he's gonna. Kiss goodbye um the head of his uh fan club and the head of his fan club is, is Anne Margaret so he comes to town and he comes out of the 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 vehicle i think it's a bus or something playing the guitar playing this song i want to be sincere or something like that and uh and uh the entire town faints because of the sexual frenzy of it <laughs> it's it's phenomenal it's very worth seeing i think um there's some bad shit in it like uh, what's her name? Um, Janet Lee is cast as like an ethnic woman, which that's all you need to know. It's not great, and it's a musical. She's not a singer, um, so that's not great either. But like, there are and Margaret is wonderful in it, and there's a lot, a lot of great stuff in it, so it's worth saying <clears throat> That also, sounds like, so
0: good. I've I've been meaning to see by Bye Birdie for a very long time. Um. And I would like – they were going to do a TV live version of it with Jennifer Lopez and they just like – I was
1: so sad that didn't happen. She would have been perfect in the Janet Lee role. I can't talk about it.
0: <laughs> Damn. But c- continue. I'll watch it eventually.
1: Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of other good movies that year. Like honestly, From Russia With Love is probably my favorite Bond film and it came out this year. So it's like – I don't know. And it should – it's a really good film, honestly. Contempt is this year – um which is, you know, one of the great French films of of the new the way, new wave. The haunting is a great movie, um, but the one I kind of want to talk about the most, in honestly multiple categories, um, is the birds. Uh, mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock, um, which should have been nominated for fucking um, sound effects because there's no traditional score in the film. It's all, um, it's all uh like. The, it's called a tr- tritonium, which is basically like a proto synthesizer, And that's, that makes all the bird sounds and all the sound effects and everything. And that's what is giving you music throughout. And like, there is no actual traditional music. It's all just sound work, essentially. Like, before we would have even called it that, realistically. Um, so like, it should have been nominated there. It's kind of ridiculous that it wasn't to me, because it's the most innovative. I mean, like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like it was, I mean, it's, it was nominated for visual effects, but not sound effects, which is like, I mean, sure, but okay. <laughs> like <laughs> Seems like the, like, I, I, frankly, I would switch it and it's mad, 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 mad world for those two things, frankly. Um, but Tippy Hedren is brilliant in that film. Um, also, the grandmother of our beloved Dakota Johnson. So, I mean, of course she deserves an Oscar just in general, but also specifically for this role where she's like, was basically like harassed on set by Alfred Hitchcock for, you know, not sleeping with him or, you know, just being a Hitchcock blonde. He was obsessed with and sort of not being what he wanted. Um, The final scene where he, where she's being attacked by birds. She was just like, they, they threw real and fake birds at her for like two days straight. She was like, she would cry at the end of every day. Basically, you should get in birds thrown at her for eight hours. Um, and like, honestly, it should be best picture. I think it's it's one of my like, you know, there are a lot of great Hitchcock films, but it's frequently in the running for top, like my favorite, like it's like this rear window and. Uh, at, at this point like that's really it's just those two those are constantly in the running and like every time i see one i think like oh it's this one and or i you know or, or oh it's the other but yeah the birds should be nominated for like every fucking category honestly I, it's wild to me that it's not it like only was below the line shit
0: i am long overdue for every watch of the birds um because it's one of like i find a lot of like the Really like staple Hitchcock ones that I was disappointed by when I eventually go back and rewatch it. I find new things that I find interesting about it. I think I made a mistake back in 2013 of like watching so many back to back to back because it just I don't, yeah, but. Yeah, the ending is absolutely perfect for the birds. It's one of the
1: best endings I
0: think in a movie.
1: But it's chilling. I mean, it's what a shot, you know? And like, that's a com- combination of great sound work and like great visual effects. Specifically, like all those birds are sitting around, and also all the squawking you're hearing and shit is is like is synthesized. There's no like real bird sounds. Realistically, it's all this Oscar Sala guy or Oscar Sala guy doing chauconium tr- shit. Like that's wild to me
0: really it's that, that i didn't even know that that is an incredible like technical feat and yeah, right? yeah come on come on academy god um also just hand on my heart for tippy Hendren. just like we salute you oh. <laughs> um the uh, do you have any more you want to highlight or no no that was it that was it all right um i have a few from this year a lot of good movies that just didn't show up unfortunately um the um one of them really fast is high and low, which is probably my favorite Akira Kurosawa, Kurosawa film um it's so different from most of it it's like this tense, almost a spy thriller that also works as like um an upstairs downstairs social issues drama it like I've been thinking of it a lot lately because of um in the weird way Parasite which I won't get into because if you haven't seen Parasite don't get it, it's well for you but the way that a film plays with like rich families and poor families is very interesting and the way they put that into like a genre film and High and Low is very similar in the way it becomes this um it's like this intense thriller where you don't know where it's gonna go but it's all about social class and it's it's fascinating and really wonderful I own the Criterion Blu-ray and it looks gorgeous um definitely worth watching if you if you haven't Seen it whether you're a fan of Akira Kurosawa or not. One of my favorite weird tidbits of it is that Chris Rock apparently really wants to make a remake of it and like he's scripted a remake, and I I I just want to see what that would look like. But um have you seen High and Low? No. No, but it sounds great. It's excellent. Very, very, very good film. Um I also want to go back to one that you mentioned very, very briefly, The Haunting, which Mm. is like one of my favorite. Favorite horror films of all time, and I only watched it. I think a year or two ago, for the oh. first time. Um, I watched it just before the 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 miniseries on Netflix, the um the haunting, um the haunting at Hill House, which is only just like barely similar. Like it's like the same principal idea, but like that film that miniseries is a family drama, and then um this is more of, like this thriller about just various people, and it is a terrifying. Like, some of the best scares, I think, in any movie, and not at all aged in that way. Like, it has one... I don't even want to call it a jump scare, but, like, it is a surprise image that is terrifying. Like, I like I watched it with my brother, I remember, and we both, like, screamed on our couch, like, just like, oh my god. <laughs> like, um, it is a chilling, chilling image. And, um, also just, like, fully... It is, like, ba- like without ever outright saying it one of the most explicitly queer films from that time period um entirely mm. about mental health and queerness going hand in hand and um like sensitive and you know not like the most nuanced portrayal but like a very sensitive and interesting film and I I I find it fascinating and I'm happy that the mini the Hill House miniseries like carried on that tradition and did something very, like the most it has in common with the film is the way it has the its queer character and um yeah. And I thought that was really brilliant. And have,
1: I, have you ever seen the um, the remake from 1999, the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Lily Taylor?
0: I haven't. I really want to, even though I know it's supposed to be terrible, because I'm just so fascinated. And also, Lily Taylor and Catherine Zeta-Jones are great picks for those parts.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what I was going to say. Don't listen to that bullshit. I, I find it very enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I, I'm so curious. Like, I, I will probably watch it eventually. Um great movie though like please people watch the haunting if you have it's excellent horror and then um the other one i really want to highlight is charade which is one of my like all-time favorite audrey hepburn films and i really i love audrey hepburn like as i was starting to (laughs) question my sexuality i also (laughs) discovered a love of audrey hepburn and i was like hmm does these go hand in hand um (laughs) oh my god (laughs) she is so good in it, it's this great romp through, um, just, like, like a European romp through, like, through spy genre, the spy genre, and her and Cary Grant having a lot of fun and a lot of chemistry, it is, she, she it's, I'm not gonna say it's her best performance, because it's not, There, like, Roman Holiday exists, but, um, she, she's so good in it, she's so funny, and just has, like, this singular tone to her sense of humor that I, I just love, um, I actually just learned it was remade with Mark Wahlberg and T- Tandy Newton. It's supposed to be a terrible remake, but like I'm going to fucking watch it eventually because I'm just like, wait, what the that, fuck is that? Wait,
1: that was a remake of charade. Yeah. The truth about Charlie. Oh, wow. I, I, that's, that's, that's shocking. I It's a game changer. I'm, I didn't realize I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I I
0: only learned about it because Blank Check is gearing up for the Jonathan Demi miniseries and I've been like trying to find some of his films to watch and I was like, wait, what is the truth about Charlie? Um but Tandy Newton trambling Audrey Hepburn is something I want to see. Um But no, Charade's wonderful. Definitely worth watching. It's also on Canopy, I think. So if you are watching Love with a Proper Stranger, also watch Charade. And I actually own the Criterion Blue, which I think has been been discontinued since then. And it is gorgeous. So love all three of those movies. All of them are better than any of the Best Picture nominees, to be honest. Um, Watch watch them all, people. Yeah. And with that, I think we've reached um, the end of the episode. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts, Marissa? Uh, Nope. you can reach. You can find me at Marissa Carpico everywhere. And you can find me at Matt Matthew One or on Letterbox at Matt T. And for those of you who like to watch the movies with us, next week we'll be doing 1980, the year with ordinary people winning Best Picture and Raging Bull, which probably most of you have seen, and a lot of other interesting movies. So listen to that. And
1: yeah, that, that year is so much better compared to the last two. We apologize to everyone and ourselves.
0: And we actually have a guest for next week. I'm saying right now. I hope they don't cancel, because otherwise (laughs) it'll be awkward. But um, we have a guest, so at least we got someone to agree to watch those movies. Um, Because they're a better lineup. So until then, everybody...